Well, welcome back. Let's open up our Bibles to Psalm chapter 16. Today we're going to look at two verses. Psalm 16, verse 5 and verse 6. Very encouraging to see the way uh, things are opening back up in church, opening back up in our society. All of the metrics that you'd want to see are going the right direction. So uh, I just would want to ask you, is your obedience going in the right direction? Is your worship going in the right direction? Is your worshiping Christ, walking with Christ, working for Christ going in the right direction? It's time for the church to get back. It's time for us to get back to worshiping together. It's time for us to get back to serving. And I trust that God's people are going to be faithful to do that so that we see us serve one another and love one another and worship the Lord together. All right, to the message, Psalm 16. The Apostle Paul wrote to a church uh, from his prison cell, and he said familiar words to us. What have become familiar words. He said, I've learned that in whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment is hard. Finding contentment in any and every of life's circumstance takes the strength of Christ. Think back on where life has brought you to today over the past year and a half or so. Are you content with life as it is here and now. That's what Psalm 16 is about. For the Christian, true contentment comes down to a matter of faith. Psalm 16, Psalm 16 is going to specify for us three qualities of God's character that we must Believe in order to learn to be content with life as it is. Three qualities of God's character we must believe in order to learn to be content with life as it is. I'm going to read all of Psalm 16, but the message today is just going to focus on verse 5 and verse 6. This is the word of the Lord, and this is what it says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord... You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. 
at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Today, we want to learn to be content with life as it is. It comes down to a matter of faith. And in order to learn this contentment, we must believe these three qualities of God's character that we find in verse 5 and verse 6. So here's the first one. We must believe that the Lord is my only strength. Look at verse 5 again with me. David says, the Lord is my chosen portion. When David describes the Lord as his chosen portion, uh, he is referring to the food that was assigned to the priests who were on duty for service at the temple. Psalm 16 was written by David, but it was likely sung by temple priests. And all the priests came from the same tribe in Israel, the tribe of Levi. And the priesthood, and being a part of the tribe of Levi, was really unique. You had a unique job that no one else had. So the rest of the tribes were required to be able to give donations to help support the work of the priesthood. When David thinks on his life and what will strengthen him for a life of worship and service to God, he says that the Lord is his chosen portion. The singers who were reading this would read this and say, hear this word chosen portion and think about the meal that they had that day. But David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us that the real nourishment that we need, the real strength that we need, the portion to nourish our souls is the Lord himself. The Lord is our only strength. But David not only describes the Lord as a chosen portion of food, but also describes him as a cup. In order to learn to be content with life as it is, we must believe that the Lord is my only strength and that the Lord is my true joy. How does joy connect with the Lord being a cup? There's a lot of history in the Stanley Cup. And as a disgruntled Leafs fan, I'll be excited to see a sweep in the next upcoming days. See the Habs lose. But the Stanley Cup isn't just a ceremonial trophy. It's an actual mug that victors who win the NHL championships will actually pour beverages into and will actually, in a very awkward fashion, drink out of. So when David calls the Lord his cup, he isn't just thinking about an empty mug. He's thinking about the drink that he would consume from the cup, and he's likely thinking about a cup of wine. Wine in the scripture is associated with times of celebration, with times of blessing, like, like the new harvest coming in in autumn, or like celebrating a religious holiday. In the scripture, wine is compared to the sweetness of romance. Wine is said to cheer and gladden the heart. So when David describes the Lord as his chosen portion, He's not actually talking about the food. He's talking about the, the nourishment and strength that God gives for his soul. And in the same way, when the David is talking about the Lord as his cup, he's not actually talking about something he's physically drinking, but he's tra- talking about the gladness for his heart, the cheer for his heart, the celebration of his heart. He's talking about the joy of his heart. In Psalm 16, he goes on to express exactly how joyful the Lord makes him. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Verse 11, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures 
forevermore. There are a lot of things, a lot of that you can make as the cup that you believe will hold the joy of your life. You might think that your kids are your cup. You might think that your career is your cup. You might think that your, that your body image or your reputation is your cup. But all of those things, though they may quench your thirst for a moment, are really only like consuming seawater when you're parched at the ocean. Do you have the same happiness in Jesus that David says you can't have here? Do you have the strength to live a life of worship and service and contentment in the Lord that he says you can't have here? The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my joy. Maybe you don't. And there are seasons in my life where I don't. How can we then find the strength and the joy that the Lord says we can have in him. I think on this past week and all the things you ate, what was your favorite thing that you ate this past week? You got it in your head? Maybe you just ate really poor craft dinner all week and it wasn't delicious. But this past week, I had a homemade burger. I like smash burgers, but I was up at my parents' cottage, and I was able to have a barbecue and make a real, like, pub-style thick patty homemade burger. And we shaped the burgers, and we grilled the burgers, and we chopped up all the ingredients, we assembled the burgers, and I just drenched it in my favorite President's Choice smoky Chipotle beer barbecue sauce, and it got all over me, and it was amazing, delicious, my favorite. And now these days, uh, just to be able to have better diet and uh, health, I'm skipping breakfasts to be able to manage calories. So by the time lunch comes around, and I'm usually on the go and I have a pretty quick lunch, and then the time dinner comes around, and by the time dinner comes around, the hunger pains are pretty real. Hunger pains are good. Hunger pains are telling you, it's time to eat, you're undernourished, and you need to be nourished. And the stimuli of hunger initiates a very easy response. Eat. When you're hungry, you eat. But you're not just a physical body. You are an embodied soul. And the soul needs to be nourished. And the soul craves joy. What are you allowing your soul to eat? What are you trying to satisfy your soul with so that you can have strength, so that you can have joy? The soul craves joy. The, the, the soul needs nourishment. But if you're not looking for your strength in the Lord, you're going to be spiritually malnourished. You're going to feel weary. It's going to feel hard to carry on. The soul craves joy, but if you're drinking down some hollow happiness, you might feel full, but you're really only bloated. And you'll never have true joy. David learned to be content with life as it is because he believed the Lord was his only strength. Verse 1 and verse 2, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. 
David was able to be content with life as it is because he believed that the Lord was his true joy. My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. But not everyone did in David's time. There were a lot of hypocrites, evidently, who with their mouths would have agreed with the same things, but with their lives were feasting on false idols. Look at verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. What is the thing that you run after that you think will strengthen your weariness and satisfy your unhappiness? It might make you happy for a moment. It might alleviate your stress for an evening. But to really learn to be content to really be content with life as it is. Idolatry will never satisfy you. False gods will never satisfy you and always lead you malnourished and ultimately end up multiplying and compounding the issue that you're trying to avoid in your heart. But in the Lord, our joy is secure. Listen to this quote from Matthew Henry. It'll be on the screen. This is the heart that I want to have. This is the faith I want to have. He says, gracious persons, though they still covet desire, though they still covet more of God, never covet more than God. But being satisfied of his loving kindness, they are abundantly satisfied with it and envy not any of their carnal mirth or sensual pleasures and delights, but account themselves truly happy in what you have. Are you content with life as it is? Maybe you do feel weary today. Maybe you do feel unhappy today. Good. This is the hunger pains of your soul. Stop filling it with spiritual Cheetos and Pepsi. Feast on the riches of Christ. Let your teeth, the teeth of your faith, sink deep into the Lord. Eat richly of his word. Drink deeply of prayer. Feast on mutual Christian fellowship. And you will be able to have the confession that David had in Psalm 63. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Or else you'll find the sorrows of the sluggard in Proverbs, who it says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Can you say this, not just with your lips, but with your heart? The Lord is my only strength. The Lord is my true joy. Contentment is a journey. It's filled with ups, it's filled with downs, because life is filled with ups and downs. But the Lord is always with us. Believe that the Lord is your only strength. Believe that the Lord is your true joy. And the third quality of God's character we must believe in order to learn to contentment is to believe that the Lord orders all of my days. And I'll be honest, this this is the biggest obstacle that I've seen in my own life and I see in other people's lives to actually finding true contentment. Verse 5 and verse 6, look at it with me again. 
The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. What is a lot? When Israel passed out of the wilderness in their 40 years of wandering and entered into the promised land, all of the tribes were divided up into territories, and uh, that was their inheritance in the land from the Lord. But the question was, who got what land? Well, it was chosen by lot. A lot would have been like a small stone pebble, something with multiple sides. This might weird you out, but think like dice, all right? And in uh, order to make a decision that had equally valid options, um, what they would do is they would cast the pebble, the lot, and whatever side it landed on, that would be the final decision. That's how they divided up their land. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Here's the unique thing about how they believed, what they believed about the lot in the Old Covenant. Uh, it might have seemed like random chance, but they believed that it was divinely ordered by the Lord. Can you say that about your life? For David... Life really seemed to be unfolding like random chance. But he believed that the Lord ordered all of the things he couldn't have expected or planned. David was the youngest child with lots of brothers, and he was overlooked by his father. He was mistreated and uh, underestimated by his brothers. The Lord chose him to be his anointed king. But the uh, previous king, his father-in-law, spent months on a manhunt, chasing David down to try and take his life. Then David had a son, Absalom. And Absalom, with his pretty long flowing hair, decides that he's going to seduce the nation to follow him conspire an insurrection and civil war against his father. And again, David is on the run. And at this moment in his life, he's asking the Lord to preserve him and to be his refuge because guess what? His life is being threatened again. He's a far way away from being a shepherd boy in the fields. But he believed the Lord was ordering it all. Can you say that about your life? This is the biggest obstacle for many people to be able to find contentment. What was your life like five years ago? 2016. The good old days. Let's try and recalibrate our minds back to 2016, all right? 2016, Captain America Civil War was the top movie at the box office. Remember Brexit? That vote happened in 2016. Remember the Fort McMurray wildfires? 80,000 people evacuated from their homes. That happened in 2016. Remember the infamous 3-1 deficit when the Cleveland Cavaliers were playing the Golden State Warriors and LeBron James came back and won game seven? That was 2016. 
In 2016, I was the director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries. My wife just finished her Bachelor of Education and was struggling to keep, find a job as a teacher, so she was working as a nanny. We were living in a basement apartment, had no kids, and were paying off student debt. Since then, we've moved twice. Since then, I've had four different jobs at our church. My wife has worked for eight different jobs. We had two kids within the span of 18 months, and I don't even want to imagine how many pounds of diapers we've thrown into the green bin. What was your life back in 2016? Five years before that in 2011? Or 10 years before that in 2001? If you told me five years ago that life would have turned out as it is, I don't know what I would have said. Probably would have laughed. Because we can't plan for how life comes. And it seems like it's just random chance. And if we can't come to terms to believe that the Lord is the one that is ordering our days, we're never going to be able to come to terms with contentment. This is hard. It's hard because when we think about our past, it constrains us. It feels like a ball and chain that we're carrying around everywhere. Our past is just filled with regret and disappointments and shame. For other people, it's hard to believe that the Lord ordered your days because you're not thinking about the past, but you're concerned about the future. And it's not a constraining ball and chain. It's a restricted straitjacket. The worry... The anxiety, the fear makes you feel like you can't even control your own life. Let alone find happiness, contentment, joy. And You know, you, you live your life. I don't live your life. You feel the pain of your past. You feel the, the constraining, the restrictions of the future. And you might even be getting frustrated trying to think about that. How am I supposed to believe that the Lord allowed all of this to happen? Not just allowed it, but ordered it. How am I supposed to be content with life as it is? With my health as it is? With my family as it is? With my job as it is? With my relationship as it is? How was David able to look at the chaos of his life and trust that it was unfolding according to God's goodness, and that he was ordering it all. I believe David was able to be content with life as it is and believe that a good God was ordering his days because he trusted in secure promises that God had made to him. You can read of those promises in 2 Samuel chapter 7. They're promises of love that God made to David and promises of loyalty that God made to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made promises of loyalty to David. That as the chosen king, one son from his line would be king over Israel forever. And his kingdom would have a reign without end. And in love, God promised that he would be like a father to David and to the sons after him. David securely believed these promises of love and loyalty. And in this passage, his life was threatened to the point of death. 
But he knew that God had made promises to him as his anointed king. And in verse 10, we see the, the faith that he had in God's promise. He believed, verse 10, For you will not abandon your, my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. That term, Holy One, means anointed. He's remembering the promise God made to him. My life is threatened, but he believed my line, my family, God's promises would never be threatened. Ultimately, though, David did die. But a son would come after him who would see the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to David. And that's the true son of David, Jesus of Nazareth, the true king of Israel. Death did overtake Jesus at the cross. But by his resurrection, Jesus overcame the power of sin, which he willingly died for, and the power of death, which overtook him, but he overcame it. And now, everyone who believes in Jesus has been united with the death of Christ and united with the resurrection of Christ. And everyone who believes in Jesus has been given God's secure promises that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you, and that even though you might die, yet still will you live. So think of your days. And if the worst of your days could come, and you are taken in an untimely way, or everything you love is taken beyond your control, the Lord has not been taken away from you. His forgiveness has not been taken away from you. His love has not been taken away from you. The hope of eternal life has not been taken away from you. This is where we put to practice the truth of Romans 8, 28 to 30. Words that you may know, words that you may gloss over and glance past because you know them so familiarly, but words we need to hold on to when life hits us like a ton of bricks. Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The Lord is ordering your days. And you may feel burdened down by the past. You may feel restrained by the future. But believe where the Lord is leading you. He is leading you with Christ towards your glorification in him. But today, as you suffer through discontentment, as you suffer through pain and loss and fear and grief, it might feel like you are being dug down deeper into this pit of life. But the more life digs you down deeper into its pit, the closer you can get to mining out the riches of the treasure of the comfort of the gospel. The more you share in his suffering, the more abundantly you can share in his comfort. The Lord is ordering your days. This is essential to learn to be content. Believe it. And through the sufferings of the present, the regrets of the past, the fears of the future, 
The Lord is still your strength. The Lord is still your cup. The Lord is leading you towards his eternal life. We can learn to be content with life, I guess it is. So what does it actually look like, though, to be content? What does contentment actually look like? Because have you seen people who are content, who have no business being content? Man, it's strange. It's annoying. It's frustrating. Why are you, I know what's going on in your life. Why are you happy? I know how many things are out of control and beyond your ability to plan. Why do you have peace? When you meet someone who actually has contentment, it kind of feels like talking with someone who's speaking a different language. But that's what learning contentment is like. It's like being thrust into a new society and a new culture with a different dialect that you've never spoken before and don't know how to speak. This is in your native tongue. It's strange. It's annoying. It's frustrating. You don't belong here. You don't want to be in this suffering. You don't want to be in this pain. But eventually you realize this apparently is life as you know it. And you start to be familiar with the language that's spoken. And you start to associate simple words with objects. You start to understand what other people are saying. And eventually, you even get to engage with other people as they talk. And slowly, surely, it becomes familiar. Contentment starts like a very strange thing that's hard to understand. But the more we exposed to the truths of the quality of the character of who God is, the Lord is my only strength. The Lord is my true joy. The Lord orders my days. The more we can learn to speak and live the language and the culture of contentment. So when you're there, what does it look like? Look at verse 6. Verse 5 and 6, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. David's thinking again about the land when it was divided by lot. The, the lines that have fallen are the territory lines, the boundary lines that divide, divided one tribe from another tribe. This is what contentment looks like first. Accepting God's assigned limits for your life. The person who's content accepts God's limits for life. These are the boundary lines. This is what's inside, and this is what's outside. They're not jealous of, envious of what they don't have. They're not resentful or angry for what they do have. Because they know the Lord is their strength. Because they know that the Lord is their joy. Because they know that the Lord is ordering their days. They can look at what they do have and they can know they still and will always have the Lord. He will be their chosen portion. He will be their cup. Contentment looks like accepting God-given limits. The second half of verse 6 says this, Indeed, I have 
a beautiful inheritance. This is the second thing contentment looks like. It looks like appreciating God's redeeming power. Because in the life that God has given you, like the land a tribe was allotted, there may be some like beautiful pastures, there may be some deep valleys. But because the Lord is our strength, because the Lord is our joy, because the Lord is ordering our days, we can look at the grand things in life and we can look at the grimy things in life and not be upset or angry because this isn't our only life. And even in the sufferings of this life, the Lord is conforming you into the image of Christ. And he's elevating in you a greater anticipation for the hope of eternal life coming. We can see that the Lord redeems the valleys and redeems the pits to use it to change us and to use what he changes in us to be an influence in others. In all things, God is working for my good. That's what contentment looks like. So, ask yourself, am I? Are you content with life as it is? Contentment comes down to a matter of faith. Faith in who God is. The Lord is our only strength. The Lord is our true joy. The Lord does order all of our days. And that might irk you. It might make you feel cringy. But the more we hold fast to this, the more we allow God's word to speak this different and unique language to us, the more we'll become familiar with it, the more we'll live it. We can learn to be content with life as it is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus, who in humility clothed himself with human flesh, came down and lived among us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who lived in humanity and experienced the sufferings that we suffer and the temptation that we are tempted with. Thank you that you know what we experience. Thank you that you empathize with our weaknesses. Thank you that you overcame it all and now can give us grace and mercy in our time of need. So we're asking for it now, Lord God, because it's hard to move forward. It's hard to go where you want us to go if we're stuck in the past, if we're paralyzed from the future, if we're not being nourished from you, if we're not satisfied in you. Thank you, God, that we have these things promised to us and secure for us. So God, in light of all of who you are, would you bless your people? Bless us, Lord God, by showing us and shining your great face upon us that we might see the strength that you provide, that we might see the joy that you give that we might believe your providence in the ordering of our days, and that when life gets hard, that we would hold fast to these and live a life of contentment as we await for your return. In Jesus' name, amen.